Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And it's showtime. I'm your host, Justin Bash, and this is another episode, episode 12 of the Bash Mania podcast. Today, I have the privilege of having my friend Yanni Diakamahalis on the show. Yanni is not only one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, he's also one of the most likable, and for a reason. He's also one of the absolute most knowledgeable guys in the sport. He is as submerged in wrestling as one can possibly be. Whether you wrestle, coach, or just spectate, it doesn't matter. He is as submerged in this sport as it gets. Yanni's going to join us in 30 seconds, but before I bring him in, make sure to subscribe to the show and let me know when you do, whether you're listening on Anchor, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, give this podcast a quick follow. We've got so many great guests lined up. And now, let's start the show. It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashomania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. John, a.k.a. Yanni D., how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like as I as I start prepping for this and, and thinking about this conversation can go in thirty seven different ways. You have had like as I try to map out your year, you have had such an insane year. Like I, everybody's thinking right now about Final X and what happened with Zayn, but like your year, like wrestling that you started to goo, winning another national championship. Like you've been, I, I gotta admit, like part part because of your maturity too but like i forget you're still in college and you still have two years left like how are you feeling after this whirlwind of a year right now i mean you know it's disappointed i uh you know i had i had accomplished some of the goals that i set out to do and i got you know a ton better but in the end you know the outcome isn't what i wanted which i mean you can't you don't always get control over that but you know, my development's really good and I've been consistently improving and, you know, I just, I couldn't get the job done when I needed to, but, uh, the goal is just to continue to improve and the things will come as I need them to. What's your takeaway from a mindset standpoint after this entire year? Like not even just the final X and not even just that, but like the overall year, like I feel like I, you've been so good for so long and yet you continue to jump levels and both like short term and long term. Like what you've done over the last two years, you jump so many levels. But then on a short term, like NCAA's in March and then open to April, it's like two different tournaments. Not two different tournaments, two different Yannis at these tournaments. Like, how do you continue to make those jumps? So I think the biggest thing is um, you know, I I have not just me, but I have people around me that are really critical of my wrestling and you know, nothing I ever do is good enough. You know, nothing I ever do is, oh, we'll, we'll figure that out later. It's like, no, we're addre- we address the problems now. And, you know, again, being critical, I think, is really important because 
I like think things don't slip by, you know, when I do something wrong, I get told it's wrong. When I do something well, I'm told to continue to do that. And I think that that's really important because, you know, I'm fine. I can handle, you know, negative. I can handle, you know, getting yelled at, getting told what I need to do. I can handle the criticism and I need it. It's how I've been trained my whole life. And, you know, it's what I respond to. So when you tell me things I'm doing wrong, things I need to work on, I'll do it and I'll work on it. It's not going to derail me at all. And I think that that's something that, you know, we, we did consistently. And when, you know, I wasn't competing as much after the NCAA season, NCAA season, I had more time to sit down and reflect on my wrestling. You know, during the season, you're wrestling every week, making weight every week. You're, you know, you're cutting a lot of weight. It's tough sometimes to really look at what you're doing. But when you have, you know, a month between each event, that's a lot of time to sit down and look at things and get better. So, you know, I think that's valuable. And you're also, from another standpoint, you, I would say, are as submerged as anyone could be within the sport. Like you, like I, I started wrestling in middle school and high school because I like WWF wrestling. I was never any good. I kind of shied away. And then I, I was like really, really big into pro wrestling. But then I think a couple of years after I graduated, I started watching NCAAs. I got in touch with Kale. He became one of my first clients when I launched my company and then Varner and then Burroughs. And I kind of like backed into where I am now where I like I started diving more and more. Like I followed college religiously. Then I started following freestyle more and more. Then you start following it younger and younger. But you growing up are like you're like you'll you have posts in the last few months like big Khabib guy wearing a Russian singlet. Like it's almost like you're you have Russian blood. Like you were a Russian wrestler in a different world. Where how did that even start? Like you became so submerged in this sport. So growing up, you know, I had my dad as my coach and we wrestled in a wrestling room that he made in our garage with a space heater and, you know, six other kids. So we didn't have, you know, this big youth club. We didn't have, you know, some world champ guy who was this superstar guy who knew everything coaching us. It was just me and my dad. And, you know, my dad was good. He's he's like D3 All-American in college, but he was not, you know, this world-class athlete with this, you know, unbelievable knowledge of the sport. But he cared and he wanted us to be great. So what we would do, we would just watch wrestling. And he'd be like, hey, watch this match. Tell me what you think about it. Like, watch this match. Tell me what you see. Watch this match. Tell me what you see. And we both would look at the matches. We'd say, you know, I watch... Satiev wrestle Alexander Leipold in, you know, the 87 World Championships or whatever. How did you even get that video? Just dug deep on YouTube and just kept looking around, looking around. I'd spend an hour a day watching wrestling when I was nine years old. And that (laughs) was like, I mean, you're talking early 2000s. YouTube was just starting. So it, it wasn't like now there's such a plethora of content available on YouTube. But then, I mean, to find that even then is nuts. Yeah, I mean, we just kept looking. We had, like, DVDs and, like, video cassette tapes of, like, the, the 88 Olympic Games that we would watch. And, you know, i go on YouTube and watch Mav Lepetirov at the World Championships. He had this really nice, like, elbow pull, knee pull. But it was just something that started really young, you know. it. I think part of it was, like, it wasn't like I just got dropped off at practice, went to practice, and went home. Right. And went about my, it was like I – my dad and I were most involved in my training. Where, you know, I I was a part of my own training. I had to look at things and learn them myself. It wasn't like I had this guy who, you know, knew everything, was like, do this or it's wrong. It was like me and my dad watching things. He He's really smart. 
He's got a really good understanding for the sport, and he learns things really well. And fortunately, I'm a little bit like that too. So we would look at it and kind of bounce off, like, I think he's doing this. And my dad would be like, no, he's doing this. I'd be like, you're right. And then I'd go and practice and work on it. And I'd work on it, work on it, work on it. And that'd be what I did that day. And then probably do it, you know, two or three days and then find another thing, go to the next thing. And then as I got older, you know, like there's more media available to watch wrestling. It became more accessible to me. And that's kind of how I became so submerged into it. But, you know, when I was 10 years old, we'd, you know, that's wild. And you, you seem to retain it, too. Like yeah. even the amount, of, even like the amount of wrestlers' names alone. Like one of the reasons I love U.S. wine versus French wine is because I can't pronounce it. Like I can't collect wine. I can't. I can't pronounce. And and foreign dialogue is tough. Not only are you watching this, you're then learning these names, especially at a young age. Like I'm 33 now. I don't like learning French wines and how to pronounce them. You're 10 years old, memorizing and looking up to Russian wrestlers and and distinguishing who they are, who they're wrestling. Like that's that's wild. Yeah, I mean, it was just. I think part of it too was, you know, my dad did a really good job of not being hard on me when I was first getting into it, kind of letting me learn to love it, and then once I was invested. He was like, hey, do you want to get serious about this? Like, you could be really good. And I was like, yeah, I do, you know. And I think that that's – it was my decision, you know. It was something that just for whatever reason, you know, I just – I wanted to be great. And I knew that if I didn't do everything right, I wouldn't be great. So in my brain, part of it was just you had to watch wrestling. You had to learn, you know, who – you had to learn what worked. You had to learn what the best guys in the world were doing. And you had to get better every day and work hard and – focus on your skill and that was just what I did and you know thankfully my dad at a really young age was instilling these ideas in my head about you know about being skilled and about working hard and you know being tough like my dad just he did a good job giving me those values young and it was something that you know when you're a little kid you don't you don't know really anything you just know what your parents tell you and I I bought in you know at a really young age to my dad's you know I guess we can call it his system yeah and it worked really well for me and I uh I stuck with it and uh, it got me here. And like I, you grew up five minutes from me, so I obviously know this area very well. And I know that it's not like Pennsylvania or Iowa where there, there's not a lot of places to travel real close where you can go train with the best of the best. When did you start traveling to to train with people? So I remember. So literally, my little garage wrestling room was me, my brother. You know, like the Dupre family was one that kind of stuck it out, you know, the longest. And then a handful of other people would come and go. And now we've got a nice group coming in, you know, with Greg's group again. Yep. But that was like, you know, my original group. And Greg was a little young, you know, my younger brother. So he, he wasn't totally into it yet. You know, he was only seven or eight. So he didn't, he wasn't, he couldn't focus that much. He's still a little kid, you know? Yeah. And um, my dad was like, hey, we're just going to work on skill and let you guys wrestle live. We didn't lift. We didn't condition. We didn't go for runs. We just wrestled. And got better at wrestling and got better at wrestling. I, didn't, I never cut weight. It was just everything was focused on skill development at, when I was younger. And then, uh, you know, when I was I, – I don't really know how old I was. I had to be less than 11 years old. I, I was doing well in New York and, you know, my dad's trying to figure out, like, where the good kids are. And someone was like, hey, you got to go out of Pennsylvania. And I was I was probably nine years old. I got my head kicked in so bad. I went to <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember who it was by? Was it anybody good now? 
oh, I have not a single idea. I just remember my dad being like, God, you suck still. And then, you know, back to the drawing board. And then I wrestled. I wrestled in Pennsylvania so much growing up, people thought I was from the state of Pennsylvania. Where in Pennsylvania did you go? Was it all over? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh a lot because that's where, like, the Whitfield area is really yep. good. And a couple turns here and there. I'd go to, like, Ohio TOC all the time. And it was just – if my dad thought there was going to be a good kid at a tournament, didn't matter how far it was we were going to that tournament. And, you know, that's what I mean. Like, he was really committed. My my mom, you know, my whole family was just like, we're all right. We're in with this wrestling thing. If we're going to be good, we got to be all in with it. And, you know, my dad's driving me around the country, waking us up at 2 in the morning so we can sleep in the back seat while he doesn't <laughs> sleep and drive. So, like, torture himself, you know. My mom's got to sit through these tournaments with – these crazy parents screaming at her because she's videoing too close to the mat. Just <laughs> like dealing with the classic, you know, crazy youth parent stuff. And yeah. they put up with it because they just cared about me and my brothers and wanted us to be good. And, you know, I, I competed a lot growing up and just kept competing and then go back, get better, compete, work on skill. And that was just kind of the way I progressed, you know, and continue to get better. When did you first start traveling overseas? Because I know you've gone to Russia a few times, like just to train. Mm-hmm. So my first ever time wrestling out of the country was the 2015 Cadet World Championships. They were in Bosnia. Okay. And, uh, that was really cool. I wrestled this Russian in the semifinals. This is a funny story. So Vito Aruja, who was a really good friend of mine at the yep. time, he went to this Russian training camp in Alusta, which I think might actually be in Ukraine, but I don't know. Okay. And um, the Russian team's there, but it's their cadet team and. Vito is saying how, and Vito speaks Russian pretty well, so he's just there by himself, and his dad knows the coaches, so it was like he was taken care of. But yeah, um, they were talking about how their fifty-eight kilo guys, you know, he's old. He was like nineteen or something, even though the age was <laughs> of course. And he's like, he will win, no way, any kid beat him, no way. He was in my way class, and Vito texts me like, you gotta beat this dude so bad that all they're doing is talking, talk, talk, talk. Like, you got to stomp this dude. I'm like, okay. And I had him in the semis, and it was just a really close match, and I kind of pull, I pulled it out at the end a little bit. And, you know, it was it was exciting. I had looked up to Russian wrestling my whole life, and, you know, my first match against the Russian, I, I won, which was just nice. That's, which is impressive. <laughs> and, and, you know, in the finals, I had this kid from Japan who I ended up wrestling the second year, too, and I beat him, you know, in a close match again. And that was how I won the first year. And that was the first time you ever traveled internationally to wrestle. Yeah. Cat Worlds. Which is wild. I feel like so many people, especially in the senior level, they, they you're going to tournaments like the Sardugu, like the Uregan. You're going and getting acclimated to international competition before you go to the toughest competitions, which is obviously the World Championships. That's wild. Yeah. It was just it's harder when you're a kid, especially since I wasn't if I wrestled senior level at that time, I would have got destroyed so bad. So I, it's hard to find like. Why do you level. think that? I just I wasn't physically developed growing up. You know, I was never strong. I was never athletic. I just kind of won because I I was skilled and I, I I was I wrestled not not that I wrestled hard, but I wrestled a lot. Yeah. Like constantly putting myself in positions, giving myself chances to win, and I think that that was kind of what won me matches growing up. You know, I. And I think that's still kind of part of how I win matches now is I make guys wrestle me the whole time and I try to depend on my skill as much as I can. And, uh, you know, it, I just I wasn't at that level of physicality and maturity yeah. where someone could have just grabbed my legs and ran me over if they had the strength to do it. 
And it's wild because you're watching you now, your level of technique from from your understanding is nuts. Because when you watch like when I watch you wrestle, it's like it's like you think you're outside the body. You're like watching the match from three feet away and making adjustments that seem near impossible in real time and thinking and that's why some of these scrambles are nuts because it's like, how is it humanly possible that you know mid something to grab the ankle, roll through? Like, it's nuts. So this is actually interesting. So one thing that my dad talks about a lot with me is your eye. You know, when you're wrestling in, it's like you know they talk about like a batter's eye in baseball. Yep. You see the ball come in, you know, or hit it or not. And it's it's similar in wrestling, at least for me, where I try to wrestle guys that are faster than me and more athletic or if I can't find anyone, I'll watch wrestling, and I watch the fast guys, and it's just the way to get get my eye to adjust to a faster, you know, more intense level. Because if I'm used to wrestling high school and college guys, not to their own fault, they're just they're not as athletic as the guys at the world level. Yep. Because especially high school guys, like they're kids still, you know what I mean? And um, what I try to do is keep my eye fast, where I see things in slow motion and. I'm at the point where I I do a little bit, not um not I'm not saying I see in slow motion, but sometimes my eye is faster than my body can actually react. So sometimes I get put in these positions, but I already knew where he was going. I didn't have the time to react to it, and that's how I think at times I do these weird things that seem like they're coming out of nowhere. It's because I I knew we were going to end up there, and you know just continuing to wrestle, I just found a way out of it. You know, feeling his weight, feeling his pressure, feeling where his body's going, knowing where he's going to try and put me and then reacting to it. So I imagine when you were, I mean, obviously throughout high school, you were just stupid good. And you you started training more and more at the FLWC, right? And that's when you were starting to wrestle college guys. Is that what happened is you were trying to wrestle college level guys that were? Like college level guys when I'm in high school and then senior level when I'm in college. And then senior level, I got to try and just wrestle the best senior level guys and that's like that's what you're implying is that development you know even it's like when you were 10 and your dad puts you in the 11 12 division or the 13 14 division it was like you just tried to find guys that had some kind of advantage of you so that you're handicapping yourself and then that was kind of a way to get better because if you were the best guy at your level find the next highest level and wrestle those guys then if you're better than those guys find go up another level and continue to go up in levels until you know at some point, everyone's going to find somebody that can stop them. You know what I mean? And, and I'd assume that takes humility. Like, I'm assuming when you first go start wrestling college-level guys at Cornell and FLWC, and you're still in high school, I imagine there's a level of humility because they're crushing you to some degree. Yeah, I mean, I used to wrestle Mike Gray, who's my coach now, and he. I, there's just some practices where I'd sit in a two-hour car ride home, and that'd be a long car ride. You're just like, <laughs> I suck. You're just like, I'm terrible. Like, he just destroyed me. He's a coach. He's not, he doesn't even train anymore. And it's just, like, demoralizing. I didn't, what I didn't know is he wrestles, like, four times a day still. Right. <laughs> but it's just it's demoralizing to get smashed like that, you know, especially when you're doing well in high school. But at the same time, for me, I, obviously, I, I value humility a lot. And I think it's something that is maybe an underrated quality of people. Totally. It's not something that gets talked about. I think it's really important for whatever you know, yeah. I, the way my parents raised me. But it was just when I would get 
embarrassed like that. It was just like, all right, I got to figure out, I got to get better. You know, I got to get stronger. I got to get better in this position and go home and work on it. Go back, get my, get my butt kicked by Mike again. All right, figure it out again. Go back, come back again, you know, and play that game. But one thing that, you know, it was just, it was just unacceptable growing up was, you know, sitting, sitting and being sad about it and whining and complaining. That was just not acceptable. And I think that's a part of it. It's like, all right, you, you sucked. So get better. All right. You suck again. Get better. All right. Now this guy's doing this. Get better. And that was just answered. Everything was get better. Like can't control that. How do you interesting? So that makes total sense. How, when you're in a situation like you're in now where, like I said earlier, I almost forget that you're still in college. I forget that you have, you know, after this year, you still have two years left how do you and college kids are no joke so it's kind of an ignorant question but how do you continue to get better when you are constantly looking to the next level but you're there when you're in high school you can look to college level and the college level you can look to the senior level but now you're there so what do you do to try to jump levels from there like when you go back for two more years of eligibility on the ncaa level what's your mindset to keep developing there I think that there's kind of two ways to look at that. So I think that mo- what most people do is they look at, all right, here are my strengths. Say I have a great high crotch and I've got a really good gut wrench. I'm going to make my high crotch and my gut wrench so good that nobody in the whole world can stop that. And no matter what, I'm going to high crotch you, gut wrench you off the mat. And that's like one way people look at it. Personally, I am not like that because I feel like I have a lot of different ways that I could score. So what I'll do, and I think a lot of people do this as well, is they look at where they're flawed and where they're not great, and they build those positions up. So instead of being, if we're talking, you know, like when you play a video game and you give your guy stats, instead of being like 99 high crotch and 99 gut wrench and then 50s on everything else, I try to be, you know, 85, 90 with everything, where I'm pretty good in a lot of positions. I might not be the best in the world in one specific area, but I have a lot of ways that I can threaten you. And the way that I the way that I think that applies to my wrestling is maybe I'm wrestling this guy who's got this great high crotch and this great gut wrench. And my high crotch defense is good enough that I can keep him off my legs. So maybe I don't wrestle high crotch, but I'll wrestle any of the other fifty positions that I've now developed and gotten good in. And that's where, you know, my game starts where I'm trying to put you in these positions that you're uncomfortable in, but I'm familiar with. And at the senior level, it's just getting better at that game. You know, you're wrestling the Russians or even a guy like Bajrang, who's very different from that European style. They all have their spots that they want to be in, and they're really good at keeping you in their spots, and they're really good at not letting you put them out of position. So this development for me has just been getting better at playing my game, right? I make you uncomfortable. You know, I, I put your feet out of spot. I move your head out of the way. I get you to react wrong and then go. You know what I mean? And it's just being able to play that game where, you know, I'm constantly keeping you away from where you want to be because anywhere you don't want to be, I believe I will win. That makes sense. So then, I mean, because – and you – wrestling like that with that mentality – and being where you are, that does leave a lot of opportunities for development where if you figure you have two years of NCAA where you're going to be doing both trying to win world championships and NCAAs, so you're wrestling anybody and everybody who I imagine if you're taking the mindset of, 
okay, this guy's got a good high crotch. This guy's got a good low single. You're, you're just trying to wrestle anybody who comes at you and get better, which is a lot of opportunities. But how do you not drain yourself from competing that much? I, um, I really enjoy competing. I, I get, you know, sometimes it can break your body down and my coaching staff's good about this. You know, I remember last year, you know, I was having a hard time in the middle of the year and they sat me for one duel. So I know that they know when I need time and when I'm starting to break down. And, you know, I know when they know I need to get pushed and I I trust them. You know, a lot of it is trust. I know I've been talking about myself and even my dad a lot, but I trust, you know, the coaches in the room. I know that they know what I'm talking about. Like Mike, Mike Gray, he's like my main guy. He watches me wrestle every time I wrestle. Anytime I'm wrestling, Mike Gray's sitting there watching. He knows what I look like every day. And he can tell if I'm 90% or 80%, you know. And if I'm, you know, 90 or 80%, he says, hey, make sure you get an ice bath. Make sure, you know, you don't kill yourself tomorrow going hard. You know, and just being and being able to play that game back and forth where – not play the game, but being conscious of it, you know. Yep. Thinking about – when you need to push the wall out, when you need a competition, you know, I like you can't just, oh, I don't want to do the weight cut. No, you got to wrestle sometimes. You got to wrestle. And at the same time, being, you know, planning your schedule out the right way, planning out your training so that you can get time in between tournaments to develop. And, you know, all those things matter. And it, a big thing, you know, I, I know I talked a lot in this answer, but it's just I, I trust my coaches and I trust that they know what's best for me and that they want what's best for me. So do that is the same on the senior level from a standpoint of like right now you knowing you you want to improve on all of your flaws and you want to make sure you win the Olympic spot in April. I'm imagining you're already jonesing to get into competitions and start refining yourself more and more. Is this a is this somewhere where like Mike will say okay don't wrestle here yet or don't do this yet? So a big thing is especially when you're competing overseas it's like a process. You got to get there, get acclimated, wrestle the tournament, come back, reacclimate back to American time. You know, it's it's a little it's a little tricky. So, it's not something that you can just ah, you know, we'll see. it's you know, it's planned. Yeah. My whole Olympic year is planned out already. And obviously, things are subject to change. You know, you, yeah. you never know what's going to happen, but I think the biggest thing is you know, we try to take control of as many variables as possible and training and my competition schedule are two that are really easy to control you know i and you know we've had a lot of practice with this you know i've had a year kind of wrestling the senior level you know i guess half a year wrestling the senior level and you know we understand how much time i need between tournaments how much time i need to get ready for a tournament and you know that whole deal and um you know i it's and yeah, it is still the same. Where you know, every day I'll sit down. Hey, what do you think of this? You know, hey, how how is this today? Oh, you need to. I need to do more of this, and just you know, being being constantly. I say it a lot, but being constantly critical and being conscious of everything that you're doing, and making sure that it's what's best for you. And you know, it's it's interesting too because switching gears just a little bit, knowing what what's good for you, and one of the things that. I'm finding fascinating because I'm in marketing for a living. I find it fascinating what's happening to with athletes from a brand standpoint. Like you also are in a spot where we have all these platforms like social media, where you already have almost like 90,000 followers. Like you have a brand. Most people in college before the last couple of years, for the most part, 
They didn't have that aspect to their life to also think about. And there's so many different variables now, too, where it's like, I know in Rochester how loved you are. Across the country, you, you're a fan favorite. And at the same time, do you think about that as you think about everything else you're thinking about from a development standpoint? Do you? I don't want to say worry about it, but do you think about you know what you're doing from developing on the brand side of things and what you're doing in the future from a like how does that factor into? I feel like if I was in your shoes, I'd get distracted by it, and I know a lot of people do, and there's very few that can engage with an audience regularly. And not get distracted and kind of inadvertently, I think, grow their brand. Do you give much thought to that yet or no? To be honest, that's one of those things that – not that I don't think about it. But I, my approach to it is just you know, I have, I have a personality – not a personality, but I have my personality and yep. I have a way that I wrestle. And you know, I'm not going to have a – I'm not going to be fake. You know, I, I'm genuine. When I speak, it's my actual opinions. You know, I, I'm not – so political that, you know, I'm not even really giving you answers. And, right. you know, when I, when I wrestle, I think, you know, I, I try to wrestle as freely as possible. And my approach is kind of, you know, if people like it, you know, hopefully they do. I, I try to be a good person. I try to be likable just because it's, it's a good way to live your life. But totally, if they don't, sorry, you don't like me, I guess. I, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things that, especially since, you know, I can't get paid. I'm in college. It's not really something that matters in my life right now. And, you know, it's fun to do social media and, you know, do the whole deal. But it's not like I uh, I think about it from a brand promotion standpoint because I know you say I have a brand, but I have nothing to promote other than myself, really. And I kind of let just my character and my wrestling do that. And then, you know, whatever whatever comes in the future, you know, I, you know that's kind of a reflection of, you know, those things, like my personality, my wrestling. Yeah, and, and, and I, I know you pretty well, so I, I know that's generally how you feel because it, it's – I've never been as good as you in anything, and I've never had the audience as you have. So it's something that I think it, it's the, the, the cliche, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think having a big audience, having people look up to you and – you know, I think it comes back down to because you're a good person, you don't have to worry about what you're sharing or not sharing because you're not worried about if you're going to piss someone off or if you're going to make someone mad. At the same time, I know a lot of people get get caught up with either listening to what people say. And there's so much commentary around you. You have to be one of the top five wrestlers in this country when it comes to commentary. I think people talk about you like they talk about Burroughs, Taylor, Snyder, like the top guys, because you're at that level. And what you do per- provokes that much conversation. It's it's not just that you're likable. You're extremely likable, but you also produce commentary, which is tough to do. You can't artificially generate that. You can't put yourself in situations that get talked about. You can't win things that, that get talked about without putting all that work in. It's just fascinating to me to not get distracted. And, and, and I'm just so curious constantly to, to think, okay, somebody, because in my world, people come to me every day and say, what on earth could I do to get 80,000 followers? But now on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have someone like you who has it, 
And, and you're not trying to purposely set out to say, how can he get more followers today? Organically, they're coming. But it's interesting to see your mindset as that develops. Because even as, you know, we, we've talked about this before, like a lot of college kids, because they can't get paid, they want to grow their following knowing after college, the more of an audience they have, the more the more valuable they are to somebody. Do you kind of just let, let it fall as it may? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it too, um, not to come off arrogantly in any way, I think part of it too is I, I am, you know, doing well with... Totally. You know, having having a presence and I'm doing well with wrestling and I think I am likable with people. So it's, I guess it, it's just like, okay, don't even worry about that because whatever you're doing has been fine. So just keep doing what you're doing. And to be honest, as much as it's great... Because when I graduate, it sets me up for a better sponsorship or whatever. And, you know, you have this following. You can help, like, influence people or whatever. But honestly, it's just kind of a, a byproduct of the wrestling. Like, I, I, I love the wrestling. It's what I do this for. And talking about, you know, people trying to get followers, it's just it's just a, a – co- not that it's a bad thing, but it's a consequence of it. You know, I just – I've been doing well, and I've been a part of some controversial outcomes and been a part <laughs> of some really good things and – I think because of that, people just talk about it just because, you know, people talk about yep. interesting things. And yep. I've just been a part of a lot of interesting things recently. And, um, you know, it's it's great. I, I'm not saying I'm not appreciative of it. You know, it's yeah. something that definitely you know, will help me in the future. You know, when I I start thinking about, you know, making money, having a career with wrestling, you know, all those things become a factor. You know, suddenly I have to care about you know, what people think of my Instagram post or my tweet, you know what I mean? But when I'm in college, I just think, you know, just it's the same thing that I was talking about when I was a little kid, just keep developing, keep becoming better as a person, as a wrestler. And, you know, just be a, be a genuine human being, be likable, you know, be personable and be a great wrestler and work hard. You know, don't put yourself in these positions where people want to want to hate you. Right. You know, be be just a genuine good human being and you know good things will kind of make make their way to you if you keep doing good you know i believe and i try to do as many just good things as possible work hard and stay out of trouble and you know see where that takes me do you ever find yourself getting like caught up or distracted in the commentary do you, or do you ever just like turn it off or can you kind of read it like subjectively i'm definitely i think unique in this point where i read Instagram comments because they're like comical to me, especially ones about <laughs> me. Especially ones about me. Like I'll see ones, especially you know, talking about the world championships when people are like, "Yanni would have tech fall this way through the tournament, unscored upon, then gone up to ninety seven and beat Sad July." <laughs> like, you guys are funny. And then there's the flip side where people are like, "I hate that kid. I don't know why everyone talks about him. He sucks." Blah blah. I'm like, "All right, I clearly this guy is not happy with me. <laughs> I don't know what I did. He does not like me." So I think. I try to just remove myself from it and just read it as this some guy reading Instagram comments and uh, they're they're funny. And again, I think part of it too is I just understand not everybody I don't mean this insulting, but like not everybody gets it. Not yeah. not everyone going through it and not everyone knows everything about everything. Yeah. You know, just because people one guy said this thing about somebody. That could just be a hundred percent made up or based on one extreme outlier related to the actual person you know what i mean so for me i just look at it as 
you know, it's comical when you when you read like some absurd Instagram posts. It's just like whatever. And, and there's such bias too. Like you oh, you can just click somebody's profile and see like. You know, I, I saw it, it's funny on, on on the post about you and Zane for final X and World Championships. You just saw a back and forth between and, Cornell and Penn State. You click on one guy and it's like Cornell wrestling. You click on another guy, it's like Penn State. You right. Know, You're like, all right. <laughs> right, but but like, it, like my mom's the worst. So like, did you believe what someone so said? I'm like, you gotta click on it. It says like, <laughs> like. Like when I was wrestling Bajrang and all these Indian people are commenting things like Bajrang will break your muscles and destroy you to a piece of sand. <laughs> and people are like, these guys are being so disrespectful. I'm like, you guys, I'm like, we're the same way to foreigners. Like we hate on them equally. It's bad. Right. We just differently because we're Americans. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And people don't realize too that you, you don't know. You don't know who's sitting there. But a lot of people in the moment can't handle that. A lot of yeah. people need to like completely turn it off. And yeah. they just they they can't handle the rankings. They can't handle the seeds or the the not the seeds, just the rankings. They can't handle these things. It it does take a bit of maturity to just brush it off and say, "Man, I feel bad for that guy. Like he's he's miserable right now." Forget like the <laughs> the extreme biased people, but like the people who are just commenting because they're miserable. And you you can kind of see some of the same names over and over. And it's just like. One guy who literally on every single post of me just comments something completely unrelated but like insulting. Like, like what? One of them, it, was, it was like a picture of me and it was like – I remember on Flo's Instagram. It was like, what should Yanni be ranked in the world? And this guy was like, nothing. He's fat and sucks at wrestling. I'm like <laughs> – and like agony in it. I'm like, come on, dude. And he did that on literally every post of me on Flo's Instagram. I was like, this guy's out of his mind. I'm like, I don't know what I did, but he hates me. <laughs> but it's crazy because that's like go did you watch like WWF wrestling at all when you were little? My little brother Greg actually used to love it. Really? So I'm obsessed yeah. with it and I relate so many things back to it. And it's funny because Vince McMahon's thing was always trying to put certain wrestlers over. And you can't because the audience dictates who's good and who's a bad guy. Doesn't matter what you do, the audience will end up dictating it. And I think the perfect example is this last year, at least the last year, with DeSanto. Out of oh nowhere, gosh. the commentary on Flo's social media, it's like, who who right now is the number one pound-for-pound pound guy in the world? DeSanto. <laughs> it's like, you you can't write this stuff. You can't, and you can't, you, you can't. They're, they're just stories that, like, artificially manufacture themselves. Right, and and it becomes like a social media trend almost. Oh, DeSanto, one hundred percent. That guy, that that's a perfect example. Actually, he has no social media. He has no, you know, everything that surrounds Austin DeSanto is just what other people say about him and what he does when he actually wrestles. You know what I mean? Which is funny because people, you know, um, not funny. It's just interesting when. You know, something like this randomly blows up and it can literally be one thing that, you know, seems completely irrelevant and in the scheme of the world might actually be irrelevant. But for whatever reason, it just became a big deal. <laughs> and, and there's there's no controlling it. It just it happens and people will, will run with it. And I don't know how long we're going to be in this era where no matter what flow post, it's just Austin DeSanto. Austin DeSanto answers. Literally, honestly, for a long time, because he's. He's my graduating class, I think, so he's going to be around for a while, and just people will just keep doing it over and over and over. 
Yeah, they're not going to let that one go. All right, a little bit more, and then I'll, I'll let you go. So heading into this final year of the – call it the, the final year of the 2020 Olympic cycle, because then I feel like everything resets. Every four years in wrestling, the entire world just – you have a reset. What is what are you looking forward to the most heading into this next like I don't know it's only like seven months until April already it's madness like the world championships ended and Nomad tweeted it like the day after is like all right and back to six weights we go like we're in the Olympic the final year of this Olympic cycle like what is your thought process like what are you looking forward to heading into this final time frame here it's just you know the olympic games are something that you know you dream of your whole life and when you're you know even to and 99 percent of the population it's something that you know seems impossible and it's not even on a lot of people's radar because it's just it's really extreme and it's something that you know I've, at the same time for me it's something i've dreamed about my whole life and right it's just you know i'm right there and can't get caught up in it you can't you know, freeze up or get too excited because it's here. You know, it's just, it's just, this is a milestone in my life to have the opportunity to compete at the Olympic Games and have the opportunity to possibly medal, win a gold medal. You know, it's, I'm, I, I, I genuinely believe I'm, I'm there. You know, I, I'm close. You know, I, I beat the, both the bronze medalists at this past World Championships. You know, I just, I need to continue to improve and make sure that there's never a wasted day. And I think what you're asking me, like, what I'm looking forward to is just, you know, there's been a lot of buildup. You know, every – we talk about, all oh, Olympics are coming. Olympics, are, Olympics are, they're here. It's the Olympics. Right. You know, and, you know, it's just uh, – not that it's anticipation, but it's just – it's something that, you know, you dream of your whole life, but you're not really sure if it's ever going to be real or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have, a, I have a chance to make it real. And, you know, you got to take every opportunity you can to – try and make that dream real. And do you find yourself enjoying this part of the journey, this part of the process? Or are you, is it like April 4th and 5th, August 20th? Like, is it all about that? Like, are you able to enjoy this part of that journey? So this is interesting. So I remember after I lost the final X Rutgers match, I was just like beside myself. I like I I couldn't even. I had a hard time with that one. It was just yeah, shocking a little bit. And uh, you know, my dad sat me down and talked to me about it. We had this talk, and he was like, "Listen, you know, you can't live and die by outcomes, especially in wrestling, because now you're at a level where everybody's everybody's a freak athlete. Everybody's got a great wrestling IQ. Everyone's super tough. Everyone's super strong. You know." You're dealing with the best athletes in the world. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can do, like he said to me my whole life, sometimes you can do everything perfect, all the right things, be super disciplined, work super hard, work on all your skills, and just come up short, you know? Yeah. And uh, you can't let that eat at you. It's just got to be driving. And that's why, you know, now I preach about getting better every day, getting better, getting better, improving skill. Yeah. So to answer your question, I appreciate the process equally, if not more than the actual outcome, because it's it's um just every once in a while you just gotta take a step back and you know appreciate that you have a ch- I ha- I have a chance to do something that you know is really important to me. It's really special to me, and 
I have people around me that care. You know what I mean? I have I have coaches and I have family and I have friends who genuinely want to watch me stand on top of the medal stand in Tokyo. You know what I mean? And that's something I I'm appreciative of. You know, a lot of people don't have genuine people in their life like that. And you know, they I I just I work with them every day and I get better doing what I love. And you know, those are the things I every once in a while. I'm not saying you gotta live it, but every every once in a while, just take a step back and you know, be appreciative that it's something that you have in your life and that you're able to pursue this dream that you've had since you weren't even able to write your name down yet. <laughs> and it's funny too, because we live in such an anxiety ridden country and everybody's anxious. And I think those people don't even make it to this level, but some people do. And then it's like, Oh my God, if I don't make the Olympic team, I got to wait four more years. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Like th there's just that anxiousness they put on themselves and they put all these different scenarios. And if you're not around the right people, it is that it, it is that easy to right. lose focus of that and to all of a sudden think about the fact that hey you know I, I need to enjoy this process because even this part when you're an olympic champion this is the part you look back on and you kind of you, you remember it you don't so, the people yeah you know I mean? like i get that the goal is olympic champion but like you, i don't know everyone's just like oh you don't win the olympics like you don't win ncas in march it's like, yep. you know, win a yep. gold medal on August 24th or whatever. Yep. You just, you're doing it every day and you're doing it every day and you're getting better every day because it's, it's like, for me, the way I think about it, it's like part of who I am. And I think that's what some people, I'm not going to, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know because I, I, I only know how I think, but I think what some people get stressed by is that, you know, it's, it's tough because they want the success, but maybe not the actual love of the sport and i'm not Correct. i'm not gonna say that about somebody but i think that some people might be like that and you know that can that can be stressing because it's like you your your life is not fulfilled because you want this thing and it, you can't get it or you are trying to get it and haven't yet and that's like it wears on you you know and it's it's like a heavy weight to bear but for me i think wrestling is just it's part of my life it's something that you know makes me whole it makes me sane you know yeah, if I'm having a bad day, wrestling practice is the highlight of my day, and uh, you know because of that, I want to be great at it because it's something that I'm I'm passionate about. You know, what I mean, and I think that that is a greater driving force than the desire for success. I think being passionate about something is greater than desiring a certain outcome. I can't remember who said it and what the context was. It, it was years ago, and I can't remember if it was football. It definitely was the context wasn't wrestling, but. The, the point somebody made was the people who love winning the game will never win as much as the people who love scoring points. The people who just want the outcome and just who like they love. And I think it was football was the context. But like the people who just love winning the game and love that whole process or, or what that entails never win as many games as the people who love scoring the points. And I've always thought about that. Like the people who love that, the game, the process, they always end up winning so much more than these people who just want to win. Because then you start getting into and this is this is not a segue to international, but then you start getting into the people who cheat because they don't like the process. They'll do anything to just get that end victory. Right. Yeah, it's it's wild. Well, I'm I'm glad you're you're looking forward to the process because I mean, how, how old are you? Are you twenty one? Twenty. Twenty. So you, 
it, it, it's a long process too because you in essence you could be a three-time olympic champion easily yeah i got a couple cycles left in me like you you sure. could yeah it's in what 2028 in la what? right Only 29 years old and they'll be here in the u.s in california i think yeah in la yeah wow. i think 24 is paris and then 28 is la yeah that's crazy all right, man. Well, I know you probably got to go to like your 15th practice. <laughs> so I'll let you go. Thank you so much for, for making some time to stop by and, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, don't worry about it. Thank you for having me on. All right, man. We'll talk soon. And that's the Yanni D experience. If you're not already following Yanni, give him a follow. I'll link up his profiles if you're listening somewhere where there's a description. But that's all for today's show. Be sure to subscribe. We have so many more great guests lined up. And thank you again for listening. And the beat goes on.